So if you haven't already, please turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 22. And like I said, we're going to be in one verse, but I'm going to be reading from some other verses. This is the very last chapter in the Bible. And I have a friend that regularly reads the last chapter when he's given a new book. Just kind of curious, does anybody do that? Anybody? When you get a new book, you don't read the first. You read the... Well, it's something interesting. He, he, he showed me to do it. It's really good from an academic standpoint to do that, to read the very last chapter, kind of let you know where the book's going. If I had a uh, mystery book, it's not always the best because it ruins the entire book. But I tell you, there is a reality. A lot of Christians will say that it's good to read the end, the last book of the Bible, because we get reminded we win, Right? Isn't that true? Those of you who believe in Jesus, you know you're born again, you know where you're going. And when you go trials and tribulations, that you come to the end and you just are reminded no matter what happens, there's this heaven and there's this goodness and we win. And so that's part of the reason we're here today. But as you see up on the screen, this passage is going to be dealing with an invitation to heaven. If you didn't catch it already, there are four invitations in that verse. I think it's fascinating. If you look at verse 17, it says, The Spirit and the bride say, Come. Come is an invitation. But that isn't an invitation to you. You guys know who that's to? That's to Jesus. That's to Jesus. It's reiterated when you get down to the end. Um, we're, we're very much talking about Jesus, verse 20. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I'm coming quickly. So Jesus responds to that invitation. The idea, the spirit and the bride, the spirit, I believe, is the Holy Spirit. The bride is the bride of the church. Then the second invitation is, and the one who hears say, come. And that, I believe, it could be believers from any age and maybe believers through the tribulation. And I think they're talking to Jesus. Come. We want you to Come. We, we, we want to get out of this crazy world. Would you please come? Okay. Um, so as I started thinking, this would be a really good passage to talk about. You know, we're having this dinner today and we invite people. And when we invite people that, you know, there's different kind of responses. And I thought, is there a great invitation passage? And this is, I think, one of the greatest invitation passages in the scripture. So it made me start thinking about the concept of, of invitations and so I do what the modern person does today. I Google it. <laughs> you just said it. You go on that internet. You Google it. And I tell you, it's fascinating that the concept of invitations. What is an invitation? You're asking someone to come to something, right? And, and, and there's all kinds of crazy stories out there about how invitations have gone wrong. And I always feel bad for brides. They put so much into their wedding. They put so much into this big activity. And all of a sudden they realize you can read, if you wrote invitation stories, how many stories there are of brides that have realized the invitation went out for the wrong date or they didn't get mailed. And typically when you're dealing with the invitation of like of a wedding, most of the time the people will somehow realize that it went to the wrong address long before the wedding date, but they got all scrambled to get it out. What was so interesting with invitation stories was all the people that get angry. You send out an invitation, like if I send out an invitation for a party or a wedding, and, and then all of a sudden somebody doesn't get one. And, you know, today with public, uh, with, our, um, with our social network, 
You can post something online about how angry you are. You know, I didn't get an invitation. And where the stories kind of always often turn is like where somebody realizes that in, the, in their pile, their, their, their pile of mail, they find later they've got the invitation and then all of a sudden they've got to eat humble pie. You know, we're going to all eat turkey. We're all going to eat pumpkin pie. But who wants to eat humble pie? And so it, it kind of gets embarrassing. I think in the past year, it's been real... Uh, you talk about one invitation story that really stands out was that there was this little boy and he his mother had a birthday party and she sent out all those invitations you guys all remember that and and then nobody showed up and then it went viral on the internet and all these people responded and then another lady said wow that kid really ended up with a lot of gifts i'm going to do the same thing but the the reality then it came out later that the lady never really sent out invitations (laughs) she was just trying to fake it to get her kid a lot of stuff so I'll tell you, there's a whole theology of invitations, okay? And so what I went and started thinking, if you've got sermon notes that are in the bulletin, I am hoping that we're going to um, have you be reading the Bible and stuff, but I came up with this. I, 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 you'll see this run through the entire message, and I want you to think about this as we're going to be dealing with this with the gospel, but just think in general. Just think in general, why, do some, why does somebody not accept your invitation why would they reject it okay so the very first thing i was thinking if i'm putting together this theology why do people reject invitations as number one is you don't like the person right so somebody gives you an invitation to their wedding to their birthday party why don't you go you don't go because there's a sense of like that, you know, and, and we t- typically don't say, oh, man, I just don't like you. I don't want to go to you. You know, I, I usually come up, well, um, I'm doing something else. Um, I, I'm, I'm busy. I'm working. And it's like one time I had, I was hoping, I had this girl, and thankfully she, we didn't end up, I ended up marrying my wife, but there was, a, I always tell the story of this girl I really wanted to go out with. And she comes to me and she says, wow, you know, I'm baking banana bread. I'm thinking, you want to go out with me? You'll, you get big banana bread on Saturday, right? <laughs> so people don't always come out and say, listen, I'm not coming to your party because I don't like you, do they? There's also sometimes, and you can put uh, as a subset of this theology, is that you, you sometimes don't go to accept an invitation because you think that they've given it out of obligation and, they, and that they really don't like you. And I think that's going to be applicable because sometimes I think some people don't respond to God because they think God doesn't like them, all right? So number, number one is you don't like the person. Number two is you think the cost of attending is too much. And this isn't just financial. And I want you to really think this through. Sometimes, you know, people invite you to a function, again, be it a wedding, be it a birthday party, and you say to yourself, you know, I just don't know if I can afford a gift, Right? And so you come up with an excuse, you know, maybe the average wedding gift today is $100, $200, you know, someone that's really close to you. Maybe it's somebody that's a coworker and you're struggling financially and you're saying, man, if I go to that wedding, it's going to cost me. And I just don't have the money. I just don't have the money for our birthday present. And so you reject it. You don't want to pay the cost. And then there's also the cost. This is the one that's, when I'm, again, this is the big picture theology of this, it, is that I might, I, might, I might have to be working that day. And if I take work off, right, that's going to cost me. 
right? You guys all understand? When it's so important that you start thinking cost-wise how it impacts, and then you also could just say, you know, I just want my rest. You know, this wedding, it's on Saturday. This birthday party is on Saturday. This event they want me to go to, it's on a Saturday. And I was just so looking forward to resting, to planting my garden, doing my yard work. I, the cost of me going to that is so, it's going to cost me. And I hold more valuable my staying home, my doing what I want to do than going to your event. You got that? So I think, you think through the cost. The cost is just too much. And I hope, I don't think I'm aware that you all should be aware of times where you've declined an invitation because it's cost too much. But then you understand this one as well, that you don't understand the significance of the invitation. Do you ever get an invite to a party and then you say, no, nah, I don't want to go. And then you come back on, and so the party's on a Saturday, and then you come back on a Monday, and the people at work and the people are at school, and they're talking about, you can't believe you missed that party. You can't believe we, we went to this wedding, and everybody got a steak dinner, and everybody got a, a going away gift. Oh, my goodness, if you would have come to that birthday party, that, that, that there was a jumpy house, there was horses, there, was, there were even clowns, okay? Did anybody ever go? Reject an invitation, and then all of a sudden you find out later, wow, if I really would have known, I would have accepted. You know, for whatever reason, I just felt I wasn't going to go, but man, I wish I would have understood the significance of the invitation. Now, there might be other reasons and how you group them, but you need to keep these in the back of your mind. These are the top three reasons for rejecting an invitation from someone. So here... I want you to understand this. You, if you have your sermon notes, fill in the blank with the word heaven, have an invitation to heaven through the gospel. In verse 22, I believe the author, John, is speaking. Jesus has just said in, in, in 22, 17, I believe in verse 16, Jesus has just said this. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. And then I believe John writes in verse 17, the spirit and the bride say, come and let the one who hears say, come. And I think they're saying that to Jesus. Jesus, will you come? Will you come and get all of this stuff going that this book of Revelation has just talked about? And then it says, and let the one who is thirsty come and let the one who wishes to take the water of life without cost by implication come. And, and so I think it's let the one who is thirsty come and let the one who wishes to take the water of life without cost by implication come. Now, how is this the gospel? And what, what is this an invitation to? This is an invitation to be with Jesus. We're going to see in a second that the end of the book of Revelation comes where Jesus lives on earth. And, and, and everything gets fixed and everything works and, and everything is um, blessed. And when you understand the gospel, there's, a con there's two concepts here that run through the gospel is that the gospel is in, given to people who are thirsty for God, all right? See, thirsty for God, it is a concept. 
you see that, he says, take the water of life without cost, okay? Let the one who is thirsty come. What do you mean thirsty? Well, this is fascinating. Those who are blessed, who hunger and thirst for righteousness, Jesus has said in his Sermon on the Mount, will be satisfied. There is, a, there, there is Psalm 42, as the deer panteth for the water brook, so my soul pants for who? For God, all right? So the, the idea here, as we go through this, is to understand this is one of the most fascinating concepts that runs through the scripture, so much so that Jesus says in John chapter 6 that he is, that, that he will give water, living water, and whoever drinks of that living water, which is himself, through the Holy Spirit, will never thirst again. Well, we're not just talking about physical water here. We are talking about coming in and finding refreshment in God. And, and, and then he talks about the fact that it's water without cost. I mean, it's something that's given. And that line, cost, is critical. Because we, wait, did we just see that as one of the reasons why you don't go to a party? Because it costs too much? Well, it's almost, it's, it's almost as if God takes away the barrier, takes away the barrier as to why somebody wouldn't want to come. You say, I, I don't have the cost. I can't pay the penalty. Well, why can't you? Um, I, I just don't have the ability. And God says, guess what? I am going to pay that cost for you. This line, um, I, it's tied back to Isaiah 55. And I'm not going to do a lot of cross-referencing um, where you actually turn the pages. A lot of time today, I'm just going to cite the references. But Isaiah 55 is a great passage in the Bible where Isaiah, taking the words of the Lord, talks about this water without cost. Why, does, why, why is it so important that we grasp at the heart of the gospel, the good news, that it is something without cost? cost well as carl took us to first corinthians 15 and i don't need to turn near that now and you can all just be aware of it the gospel breaks down into what i hold as five really critical points five critical topics and the first and foremost is that the bible says all have sinned all fall short of the glory of god the bible talks about the fact that the penalty for sin for one sin whether you think something, say something, do something bad, or don't do what you're supposed to do, is death. The wage of sin is death. And we know that many people, from a religious standpoint, try to recognize that that this needs to be fixed, that the cost needs to be paid. But here's the thing. The Bible is really clear. You can't fix it. You can't ever pay it. Isn't it crazy? Like, anybody ever get a speeding ticket and the policeman pulls you over and all of a sudden, you know, you get a fine and you realize the judge says, okay, it's going to be 250 or maybe you were speeding in a blind child's neighborhood and you were going so fast that the, it gets tripled and it's $1,000 and, and they say to you, it's, you know, if it was the worst thing and all of a sudden you got a $1,000 fine, you could maybe say, look, I can pay that, Right? But what I'm telling you today, when the Bible says the wages of sin is death, the only way you can pay the penalty is with your life. And once you pay it, you have no life left. Do you understand? 
Now you say, well, big deal. Well, the big deal is the Bible talks about death earlier in the book of Revelation two ways, a physical death and then there's a spiritual death in a place called hell. It's a second death. I tell you, I, you know, we, we sing songs, highway to hell. We sing songs about partying in hell. And I got to tell you that hell in the Bible is described as a place of isolation, a place of pain, a place of unending torment. Do you ever, I've been using this a lot. Do you ever bite your tongue, you know? And when you do that, you're like, you're chewing some gum and you, <clears throat> or something, you're chewing some meal and all of a sudden you bite your gum and when you do that, ow, oh, I just bit my gum. I just bit myself. I bit my tongue, right? You, you got that little yell. It's, it, it's painful. It's intense. You know, the Bible says, and I want this to be dwelt in your heart, and I want every time you do this for the rest of your life, there's a verse in the Bible that says that hell is filled with people who are weeping and gnashing their teeth. And when they do that, when you bite your tongue in hell, you do that for relief. There's a passage in Luke 16 that talks about the fact about the incredible pain that hell is. Look, I don't understand how the game gets all played and why it all, it's all working like this, but God has told us that this universe goes by his righteousness and that the people who die and never have this penalty paid for will have to go to this place that there is no second chance. Like if all of a sudden you die, you say, well, wait a second, I'm gonna go to this place called purgatory and when I'm there, I'm gonna fix everything. No, there's a verse in the Bible, it's clear. First comes death, then comes judgment. There is no second chance. I mean, what moron wouldn't stand before the gates of heaven, look over to the gates of hell and say, oh gee, I really wanna go to hell. You know, I'm choosing there now. I thought it was the place where ACDC was and all the partying people were and all the fun things that were being done. But I've seen it now. I'm seeing the flames. I'm seeing the torment. I'm going, I'm not going there, right? You know, of course not. I don't know why this thing is called a game of, a, a life of faith, but that's what God is calling you to. And he wants you to believe that there's this heaven and this hell. And the gospel starts off with the incredible reality of your guilt, and, and the cost that you have is overwhelming. In the book of Matthew, chapter 18, he talks about it as a debt. Uh, he gives the illustration like it's 10,000 talents. That it's, in, it's a, like a trillion, billion dollars. None of us could pay this. What you need to understand when you, the good news of the gospel is that you've got a debt that you could not pay, and God paid it. How did he pay it? Jesus comes to earth. He's, it's God. And you have to recognize that God, who you may not like, and I say that, remember we talked about the number, a lot of times people don't go to an invitation because they don't like the person inviting them. When we really recognize what sin is, sin is saying, God, I don't want you in my life. I really don't like you. And I'm going to be just like so many people in a party that just lie to the host that's been inviting me. I'm going to say I'm busy. But the reality of it is, is I love my sin. I love me more than I love you. I like being in control of my life. Is that fair? Do you understand that? that, that, that and so the gospel 
we have, I want to, to like blow your mind is that God recognizes that and could say, yeah, I don't like you. And even in the book of Romans, he calls us enemies, but he says, I got to help these people. And God came to earth in the form of Jesus, became a human being, and he died and he paid the penalty. When Jesus paid the penalty, he gave his life and it's called the substitutionary atonement so that when he died, God the Father looked at his death as paying the debt that you owed. His resurrection is what declares that we're justified, and it's through his resurrection that the Bible tells us in Romans 4.25 that we get justification. Fascinating. So what you have here is this gospel that talks about sin, the person of Jesus, his death, his resurrection. Those are the first four topics. But fifth and foremost, when we talk about the gospel, is that it is by faith alone. I want you to recognize he paid the cost. But there's a verse in the Bible that says, for by grace you're saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not a result of works. No one can, nobody could pay it. But when you believe it, you are accepting that humbly he did it all. He paid this penalty that you couldn't. Belief, though, is the key. Belief is not mere agreement. Belief is a trust, a reliance. It's a verb. And interestingly enough, there are passages in Scripture, like Hebrews 11, that talks about faith is the assurance of things, hope for the conviction of things not seen. And then there's a whole list of ways faith impacts people through Hebrews chapter 11. But there's also a chapter in the Gospel of Luke. It's Luke 14 where Jesus does something that's really interesting. And he challenges people, if you're going to make a commitment to me, what do I want you to do? Basically, I want you to count the cost. What do you mean, count the cost? What do you mean, count the cost? I thought the gospel was free. It is free. But the, there is a cost. And the cost isn't for what you pay to get your debt paid for. The cost is how you're going to give control of your life over to God. The cost is that you are somebody that recognizes that I got to confess Jesus is Lord and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. I'm going to trust in that. So I'm going to have to publicly tell people I'm a sinner. I'm not good enough. You're going to humble yourself and you're going to stop saying, I'm in charge of my own life. I'm... I'm, I'm going to turn, and the cost is now that you're saying, Jesus, you're my Lord. The cost is where you come to this understanding of, of commitment and believing in Jesus. And you say, wait, 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 I, I'm not, uh, it's not a cost to obtain. It's a cost that once you get it, it changes everything. Let me give you an illustration. You guys were invited today. What if I said, big surprise. You thought you were just coming for a dinner. Big surprise. Guess what? I have paid the cost. Everybody, everybody here gets, a, gets to now live in Hawaii. I am paying for you to fly to Hawaii today. I am paying for the flight, 
I am playing for when you get there. Guess what? I have an apartment ready for you. I've got a job lined up. I've got life lined up for you. You don't have to pay a cent. You don't have to pay one penny. Now, it's my offer for you. But when I give it to you, guess what? You don't get to come back. You don't get to come back. You're going to Hawaii to live. Everything is paid for. But you have to sit through, do I want to pay that cost? I love Northwest Indiana. I love snow. I love being able to go to Bulls games. I love that my family's here. I love to get to do the things that I want to do here. You could, but you got to make a choice. Do you want to come live in Hawaii free? I'm paying everything. Or do you want to stay here? It's a cost. That's the concept. Not a cost to obtain, but there's a cost to receive. When you receive the gospel, that's what Luke 14 is talking about. You've got to count the cost. You've got to understand it. You've got to recognize that when you make this commitment, it changes everything. Wait a, so when I say I'm going to receive Jesus, I'm no longer going to stay a drunk, a drug dealer, a thief. I'm not going to stay sexually immoral. I am going, you know, so you can come to God. You come just as you are. But you realize, oh my goodness, God is going to start working in my life. He's going to start working in my heart. He's going to start this process. And I am recognizing that as I come to him, he's going to change me. All right? And it's a God that didn't have to do any of it. He didn't have to offer you this trip, this trip, not to Hawaii, but to heaven. And everything I talked about regarding heaven is absolutely incredible because I want to take you there. I want you to understand that's the gospel. That's the offer. You need to understand this is an incredible offer. And on your sermon notes, on the back side, on the back side is a list. If you go through Revelation 21 through 22.5, there are, I put 14 categories of description so that you understand the significance of the offer. Remember I said some people miss an offer because they don't understand the significance? And let me just read through. We can go, I'm going to show you. If you take that, I didn't want anybody having to write it down, so it's all listed out for you. You can go more into detail. But look at quickly. 21, 1 to 3. As Jesus Christ and has come back, he's had the supper of the Lamb, this is when everything goes into eternity. Verse 1, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, John writes, for the new heaven, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there's no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and he shall be their people, and God himself will be among them. First point, this is God's home. No longer when you are existing, you no longer have to have faith. It's all by sight. Do you understand how frustrating it is, I say frustrating from a human perspective, that I, I need an answer from God? Do you understand what it's going to be like to be able to talk to him face to face? Forever. Forever. 
You will always have God. You will always have him present. You will always have him there as a protector. You will always have him as an informant, someone that can give you information. He will be there. And I don't have time, but you need to go through a theology sometimes of the omnipotent, omnipresent, um, omniscience of God. He who is eternal will always be there face to face. Second, Look at verse four, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will no longer be any death, there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. Listen, the older you get, life doesn't get easier. Life gets more painful. I'll never forget, it's, I don't know if you guys know, one of the worst memories of my entire life is waking up late at night around Christmas, around midnight, and my mother is sitting in a rocking chair crying because she's thinking about all the people that have died. Her, her mother, her aunt, the people. And it just, I'll never forget it. And now that I'm older, it's just people die and you can't stop it, let alone the tragedies that all of us have seen. People whose lives have been ruined, people who have walked out of us, people who have been in accidents and all of a sudden they are maimed for life and they cannot ever get whole again. Life is filled with pain. We read in the newspaper about children dying at age one. We read about people dying at age 20 and, and, and we read over and over and over. Life is filled with tragedy. Can you imagine what it's like to never have to have pain? How in the world could you not want to go there? Third, verses five and six. And he who sits on the throne said, behold, I'm making all things new. And he said, right, for these, things are word, these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, it is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the, again, from the spring of the water of life without cost. And I just said, this is a new earth. Everything is new. Okay, you laugh about Northwest Indiana being a rust belt. There will be no rust. <laughs> You'll never see things break down. I don't know how it's all going to work, but I cannot wait to see a world in which there is no decay. There will be no leaves. I raked leaves yesterday. I was exhausted. I, was, <laughs> I couldn't hardly move because my son wasn't there to help. Okay, well, there's another story. But Ethan helped. You can all talk to Ethan. But listen, we will never deal with decay. Think about that. Think about that. Verses seven and eight. He who overcomes will inherit these things and I will be his God and he will be my son. But for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with, the, with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And I just put there, this is a place with zero evil people. You will never, okay, this is a warning for everyone. You know, this is why you want to turn. This is why you want to stop loving sin. You want to be in heaven. But for us, for people who are there, can you imagine you never have to deal with someone who lies, never have to deal with someone who robs you, never deals with someone who's going to murder you, never someone who's going to manipulate and take their country at war against you. It goes on and on and on. You never have to worry about somebody abusing you, raping you, killing you, doing something. Can you imagine what that's like? Can you imagine what that's like? And we're only like five through the list. You talk about not understanding the significance of this incredible offer. It is an absolute foolishness that we put out an offer for the gospel and that isn't lined up around the block. But you know, 
There are people who have too much to do because they count the cost and they look, and this was, this was something more out of obligation they're here today. And you know, some of you invited people, but you couldn't get them to come. They don't understand the significance. This is something better than clowns and ponies. You go on, verses 9 to 21 talks about how it's glorious beyond all comprehension. I, I repeated it. I, I won, number six, it's a real place. We're not floating on clouds. Number seven, it's amazing. It's tied to the current world history. We understand Israel. We understand the church. We understand names, people. So I want you to understand it's tangible. It's not like all of a sudden everything is going to be erased from your memory. We look Number eight, Christ is there. Verse 22, I saw no temple in it for the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. Jesus is there. God the Father is there. How we're going to really begin to understand the Trinity, and we're going to see Jesus there. The one who died, the Lamb, that, the reason he's called the Lamb is he's the one that paid the penalty. He paid the cost. We'll see him. We'll be able to talk to him. We'll be able to relate to him. Verse 23, it says, and the city has no need of the sun or the moon or to shine on it for the glory of the God has illumined it and its lamp is the lamb. We, there will never be any darkness, literally nor figuratively. There will never be any innuendos, any lies, any misrepresentations, any false advertisements, anybody that is tricking you. Oh my goodness, how wonderful. When they say they're going to do something, they're going to do it. When they, they're, they're doing it, they're not doing it with false motives. To, to want to get out of this world, if you live long enough where people lie and manipulate and hurt, to be in a world that's filled with God's light, let alone not have to pay an electric bill. <laughs> All right. Look, verses 24 to 27 deals with the fact that there's nations. A lot of people think that we're not... We, we talk about, oh, you know, we, we need to break down all diversity. We need to break down, you know. Here's the reality. God made us different. God made us different colors, different sizes. And into eternity, I just pick that up so people understand. It says the nations will walk by its light. I believe, as you see, as you study this, there's still going to be organization. There's still going to be a world, and there's going to have nations. Verses 1 and 2 of chapter 22 then he showed me a river of the water of life. Remember, we need water. We need God's water. He showed me the river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming down from the throne of God and of the Lamb in the middle of the street. On either side of the river was the tree of life, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit. Where? Every month. There's time in heaven. Somehow, some way, it gets marked off. I don't know how. I don't know how it's going to be played out, but it's tangible. This is not some esoteric place where you're just some type of being that has no concept of space. You are going to be a person with your hands and your feet and your feelings, and we're going to mark off time. And the people who are in hell will mark off time too. But we're just talking about how glorious heaven is. Verse 3 and there will be no longer any curse, and the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it. What do you mean no curse? This concept of Murphy's Law, I've used this before. If, if something can go wrong, it will go wrong. That's not Murphy's Law. That's God's curse. That is a curse. God does want your, God does want your refrigerator to break down. God does want your car to break down. God wants things to happen so that you recognize this world is not right. 
It's a curse. A curse without cause does not alight, Proverbs says. But this is a curse with a cause. This is a curse, Genesis 3 says, so that you wake up, so that you don't come to the end of your life and all these things have happened and you, and you don't realize it's because this world is wrong. But now there's no more curse. I can't even begin to think of what that's like. Verses 3 to 5, the second half, talks about the fact that we serve him. Our work will have meaning. Do you ever build something and then it breaks? Someone steals it. Someone takes it. That will never happen. Never. We are not going to be people that float and play harps forever. It's very clear we serve. We have a world. We have an organization. And then lastly, you should all just listen to this verse. And there will no longer be any light, night, and they will have no need of light of a lamp nor the light of the sun because the Lord God will illumine them and they will reign forever and ever. And the point is, is that this is eternal, unending. My wife and I were having a talk and we had a really nice day. Do you ever have one of those? You have a nice day. You and your wife get along. Everything's going well. Everything within the kids, everything's going well. And then, and then a couple days later, it just things went wrong. So many things wrong. Misunderstanding between me and her, understanding with the kids. Something else happened. And, and she was in tears. And she said to me, I just even knew when Monday was so good that it couldn't last. And she's right. Nothing here can last. Heaven, it lasts. And that's what I want you to passionately understand the significance of this. And so sometimes today when you go through stuff and, and things don't last, the reason is, is this world wasn't supposed to last because it's cursed. So here, why should you accept the invitation to heaven today? Why? First and foremost, because God is worthy of your love. People will say, I don't want to go to the invitation because I don't like you. I don't like God. I don't like what he's done. I don't like the fact that this world has so many problems. If, why does God let little babies die? Why does this? Why does that? Listen, we understand theologically that this world is cursed. Mankind has brought this on himself. God doesn't have to do anything for us, but he loves us. He's kind. He's gracious. He's good. I tell you, if you say, I don't think God is worthy of my love because I love the things that I love. I love my sin. I love sleeping with my girlfriend. I love stealing from my company. I love cheating. I love being lazy. I love my sports and it's my God. I love this. I love that. Then you're saying that God is not worthy of your love and you're not gonna give anything up But I'm telling you, God is good and God is gracious and God is loving and kind. And the best I can do is just describe that God, the Bible says God is love, God is holy, God doesn't do things manipulatively. And I'm telling you, when you understand the gospel that he died and he, he, this whole thing was out of love, how could you not love him? Second, the cost of what you give up is really nothing. You say, I don't want to go to heaven. I don't want to go to give my life to God because it costs too much. And I say to you, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? I want you to think about that. It's one of my favorite life verses. 
What does it profit a man to gain the whole world? You can say, I want to stay with my porn. I want to stay with this the control. I, 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 I'm in control. I've got my money. I'm the one that gets to decide what I go, where I go and what I do. I'm the one. And it's not worth it to give this up. I'm not giving my life to Jesus Christ. I'm not committing to him. I'm telling you, everything that you're holding on to is going to go away. The great verse, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes, makes this commitment, trusts in him, shall not perish. That word perish means to have a loss of everything. It doesn't mean that you get, you disintegrate and it all goes away. Boy, I wish, I, I theologically hoped and wished at times that the people I know who rejected Jesus and died went and just disintegrated and that was the end. But it is clear from the Bible there is an eternal nature for those that are in hell. What are you holding on to? You should take a sheet of paper and say, here's all that heaven offers. You take, take your sermon notes and you say, here's all the things that heaven offers and here's all the things that I'm holding on to on this earth that I will not give up. My cost for staying away from Jesus, this is what I hold dear. And I tell you, once you do that, maybe, maybe a picture is worth a thousand words and the picture will be very evident that you are foolishly holding on to the wrong thing. And then lastly, because heaven is significant and you don't want to miss it. Like I said, you can miss a party. You can miss the, you can miss the um, clowns and the ponies and everything like that. The steak dinner. But maybe there's another steak dinner coming. When we get to heaven, there is no second chance. There is no opportunity to come and say, boy, I don't like it here in hell. I don't like it where I've gone. I can't believe I've missed this. Now I'd like to go back. I'm not the one who says it's final. Passage after passage after passage says it's once this invitation is rejected and the official rejection is ultimately sealed when you die, you have no opportunity And I'm just trying to tell you the opportunity before you is so significant. Nobody wants to miss it. I hope I convinced you. But it ultimately, ultimately, for believer or unbeliever, God is just trying to get you to understand what is before us. If you have your Bible, there's two warnings that are in this last chapter. This is really interesting. This gets missed. If you recognize dealing with accept or reject this, verse 11 says, let the one who does wrong still do wrong and let the one who is filthy still be filthy and let the one who is righteous still practice righteousness and the one who is holy still keep himself holy. What, what this is, this is one of the most perplexing verses and what it is is a judgment. God is like saying, fine, as we get to the end and we're wrapping this all up, if you want to still reject me, let the one who is filthy still say filthy. Say, why would God do this? It's sort of like God's warning. It's almost like when you tell a kid, all right, you're disobeying, you keep your room a mess so when your dad gets home, he's gonna know. Go ahead, don't clean up. Don't clean up. That's what that is. That's God's like, where when you tell your child that as a, parent it's sort of like the kid will say wait a second i better act that's what verse 11 is you want to stay filthy stay filthy you want to be unrighteous stay unrighteous god's hoping that wakes you up 
And then the second like warning is when he says in verse 20, I am coming quickly. I'm coming. Now in the space of time, it's been 2,000 years since Jesus Christ gave those words. But I believe in the light of a million years and a billion years of eternity, we'll look at this as a blink of the eye. Some of you that are over 50, 60, you know. You know because you're like me. You were, we were just 10 years old. I can tell you, I can still remember being like in a barber chair in 1965 talking about the wonderful Cleveland Browns. <laughs> the joke. I can remember being at my birthday parties in 1965, 1966. And now it's going to be the year 2020, people. Life is like a dream. Time is relative. Jesus says, I'm coming quickly. Your life is going to be so fast. So some of you who are young, it's important that you make the decision now. And whether you're old, your time is running out. And so I just say, make sure that you believe in the gospel. Because it's a cost to get to heaven has been all paid. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. I'm going to pray and then we're going to have our offering. And when we have our offering, those of you who are visitors, we're not asking that you give financially. We're just asking, put the communication card in. Listen, this is not a church that wants your money. I say that, you know, we'll give you money. But what we want to know is and information about you, anything we can help you with, anything we can pray for. I'm going to pray. The men are going to come forward. And while they're coming forward, we're going to play a video. And this video, I hope, will challenge you. And then Jason's going to play the song that goes with it. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for the gospel. You love the world that you sent your son, your only begotten son, and he paid the price that all of us owed. We thank you for it. And how my heart's desire is that an invitation greater than a turkey dinner, an invitation to a wedding, a birthday party, this is the greatest invitation ever. I'm asking that not only does everyone here believe it, but they really have thought through the cost, that there's nothing holding them back that's worth holding on to. Let go of your sin. Let go of control of your life. Get go and believe in Jesus. For belief is not mere agreement. It's a commitment. It's the conviction of things hoped for. The assurance of things not seen. For the believers here, God, today, I pray that there's a renewed zeal to get this message out. For time is short. Jesus is coming back quickly. And what he offers is everything. Now, Please receive this offering from those who regularly attend here and be pleased with our hearts, God. In Jesus' name, I ask now that you use this video and this closing song in a great way. Amen.